Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, it's Moses, and I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, from verse number 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father, who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, God, I pray that um, as we take the teaching of today, you will truly baptize us with the spirit of true worship and true prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Moses. Uh, lovely to be with you all. And uh, thanks for having me um, with you. Uh, and uh, I'm just organizing my screen. There we go. Good. Um, so uh, a famous Scottish preacher from the 19th century once said this, make it gender neutral if you like, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. In other words, if you want to find out the quality and sincerity of your religion, look to what you do in private when no one else sees. In the passage that's been read to us, Jesus is wanting his followers to examine their motivation for their religious practices by examining their audience. For whom do they do their religious practices? Is it for others to see, to boost our egos, so you know we impress others? Is it for myself to see? No one else sees, but I sort of self-congratulate myself and build my self-esteem. Or is it just for God to see, to honor, worship, resemble, and enjoy my heavenly Father who will reward me. Look at the summary verse 
for the passage right there at the beginning be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you'll have no reward from your father in heaven notice jesus says be careful jesus knows the human heart better than anyone else and he knows the natural tendency in every one of us on this call to practice our religion for the wrong reasons and if we do he says we'll have no reward from our father in heaven so he says to each one of us today be careful why are you doing what you're doing for whom are you doing what you're doing be careful the human heart has an extraordinary tendency towards pride be careful so i want to look at three things today what are jesus's followers to do give pray and fast how are we to do each of them forgetfully privately and normally and thirdly why do we do them to please god not man nor myself so let's look at those three what are we to do jesus calls them acts of righteousness he's talking about the practices of the the, the, the of the jewish faith uh, giving praying and fasting let me make a few comments about what we are to do firstly uh interestingly it's assumed that we're practicing them that's the first thing Verse two, so when you give to the needy. Verse five, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. Jesus, building on the Old Testament Jewish practices of you know, their piety, assumes Christians, his followers, are going to adopt the same practices that God had told the Jewish people to follow when they were in the Old Testament. Um, so as part of our weekly, monthly, regular habits of worship and devotion to our God, there should be financial giving, prayer, and fasting. Second observation about what we do. The second observation is this. Fasting is alongside giving and praying. Think about it. Every one of you prays. Whether you, you may not even be a Christian on this call, but every one of us at some point in life calls out to God for help. We all pray. And everyone who's a Christian says, yeah, I know I should pray. And everyone, you, you could be the most secular person in the world, thinks charitable giving is a good thing. Even if you don't do it, you think, yeah, it's a good thing to do. Question, do you fast? Second question, do you think fasting has such an important place in the Christian life as prayer and charitable giving? Why? Why not? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus assumes we're going to be doing it alongside the other two. What is fasting? Strictly speaking, it is total abstention from food. Now, as ever, the spirit of the law must trump the letter of the law. How long you fast for? Is it a partial fast? Is it a full fast? Do we learn to fast from other things like social media and TV and busyness? <laughs> Those are all important things to consider. But when Jesus spoke about fasting here, make no mistake, everyone assumed he meant abstaining from food, most likely for at least a whole day as the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, and he was speaking to them while he had them in earshot with the sermon. So why do you fast? Now, it's a whole sermon for a whole other day, and I've written a blog post we'll, we'll post afterwards, but here are my six reasons why you should fast or why we do, we are, we're called to fast. The firstly is to pray. The second one is to hunger to, for God. The third one is to repent of and mourn over sin. The fourth one is to grow in dependence. The fifth one is to grow in self-discipline. The sixth one is to seek guidance. It's a sermon for another day. The point is, can you see how valuable fasting is? 
Third observation. These are not entry requirements of the kingdom, but descriptions of belonging to the kingdom of God. We've said each week that if the Sermon on the Mount is the, is the standard required to be part of Jesus's kingdom, we'd only be filled with despair as we realize how far for, uh, how, how short we fall. How do you enter the kingdom of God? You repent of your sins and believe in the king, Jesus. You enter by grace. But what does it look like when Jesus has become your king? Well, Jesus says, yeah, you're going to do all kinds of things. But the most important thing is to look at the motivation for why you do the things you do. That is a mark of whether the rule of God, the rule of King Jesus has come into your life. Is that your motivation for what you do has started to change. The kingdom of God is at hand when you're doing it for him and not for others and not even for yourself. So what do we do? We give, we fast, we pray. So how do we do these things? How do we practice them? Well, when it comes to money, giving our finances to the poor, God says, uh, Jesus says, give forgetfully. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, the right hand, uh, and Matthew spoke about this last week, you know, was the one that is normally used in, uh, for active, you know, for, for things that you did in life, for act, act, you know, activities. So Jesus assumes we're going to use our right hand to give our money away. But he says, as you give with your right hand, don't even let your left hand be watching what your right hand is doing. In other words, not only do you not tell other people about your Christian giving, there's a sense in which you don't even tell yourself about the money you give away. We're not to be self-conscious in our giving because our self-consciousness could easily deteriorate into self-righteousness. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it's possible to take deliberate steps to keep things a secret. I'm kidding. No one knows about my financial giving. While you self-congratulate yourself on how much you have giving. Do you see there's three audiences? Do you see three audiences? Giving to impress others, giving to impress yourself, or giving as an act of worship to God. Now, of course, you need to use your right hand to give. And so you need to use your brain to give. You, you can't actually you know, not know what you're giving. The rest of the scriptures reveal that our financial giving should be considered, sacrificial, regular, diligent, proportional all these things are told to us about giving in the scriptures we cannot literally not know what we give we should calculate and ensure our giving is proportionate and sacrificial but here's the point once you've given your money you forget just like with when you forgive someone their sins you forgive and you forget so when you give your money you give and then you forget you don't gloat over it you don't recall it to in any way to make yourself feel like you're better you're just glad to have given and you've forgotten what you even gave. Give forgetfully. Then prayer, secondly, he says pray privately. Verse six, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, let's not overpress this. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, like the right hand and left hand. Of course, we can pray out loud. And of course, we can pray out loud for others to hear in public. We know Jesus did that. We know the Apostle Paul did that. We know the early church prayed in public together. But he, he's talking about being a hypocrite, isn't he? Verse 5, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. And the word hypocrite in classical Greek uh, was the word used for an actor. 
an actor who's playing a part, an actor who's got a mask on, on a stage. He's not the real person. He's, he's, he's performing. Jesus says, when you pray, don't perform. Don't wear a mask. Don't do it to impress others. He's talking about integrity again and sincerity. You know, you could say, yes, you know, we pray to, you know, it's the kind of person that prays, but just prays to be impressive theologically. Did I say the right thing? Did I impress the people who are listening to my prayer? Pray to keep up appearances. I never pray in private, but when I'm like in a group, I make sure I pray so it sounds like I pray. You're a hypocrite, Jesus says. Your devotion is empty. The motive is corrupt. Jesus wants our public prayers to come out of an overflow of private prayer that no one else has seen. And that is why he says, don't keep on babbling, using empty words, just, you know, almost getting into a frenzy. No, no, pray simply, pray clearly, pray using the model of the Lord's Prayer, which he gave us here. By the way, Jesus' teaching on prayer has a very important application for a certain view of prayer that I've heard quite a lot in the last decade of my life, which is this idea that, well, we can just pray at any time when I'm when I'm commuting and when I'm on the toilets and when I'm in the shower and when I'm cooking my food. And yeah, of course you can. That's called practicing the presence of God. And it's hugely important part of the Christian life too, being aware of God and talking to God throughout the day. A hugely important part of the Christian life and an aspect of prayer. But if that is all your prayer, it is very unbalanced and it doesn't actually fit what Jesus seems to say more about prayer, which is you need to have a room where you go on your own. It's deliberate act of setting aside time where no one else knows you're even doing it to be with your father on your own. And when you're there, you're going to concentrate, you're going to meditate, you're going to reflect, because the Lord's prayer he gives us isn't just casual words, there's adoration, there's surrender, there's dependence, there's supplication, there's repentance, there's spiritual warfare. You need a room, you need a private place to be alone with your father that is deliberately chosen. Of course, we practice the presence of God and may we do that more, but never forget the room and the time where you deliberately set a time to pray. Murray McShane, that I quoted at the beginning, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. So give forgetfully, pray privately. Thirdly, fast normally. Again, Jesus is after our motivation. And again, to help us understand our motivation, he goes after our audience. Who are we fasting for? Who do we want to see us? Don't fast in a way that draws attention to your fasting, like in those days, disfiguring your face. You know, I'm very holy. I'm very summer. Look how hard I'm working for Jesus. Aren't I a great? No, don't do any of that. When you fast, make sure it's so hard for anyone to even know you're fasting. Jesus talks about putting oil on your head and washing your face. These are just the normal parts of daily hygiene and making sure you look fresh in your face. Brush your teeth, wash your hair, have a shower. Don't advertise your fasting. No one else should know your fasting, just God. This is an act of worship and adoration and devotion to God. Only he needs to see. So can you see? Give forgetfully. Pray privately. Fast normally. What is Jesus getting at in all of them? Well, he says it repeatedly. He says it's all in secret. He uses the word four times about each of the application, uh, each of the practices. We do these things in secret because we do them only for God. We're living for the audience of one. 
So what are we to do? Give, fast, and pray. How are we to do it? Forgetfully, privately, normally, all in secret. And now we get to the crux of it, don't we? Why do we do these things? We're back to where we started. Are we doing it to be seen by men to receive their praise? Or are we doing it to be seen by God to receive his praise? Did you notice how much Jesus talks about rewards? Seven times he mentions the idea of rewards. If you do what you do to be seen by others, you've received a reward in full. Annabelle asked me at the dinner table the other day, what does that mean? And I said to her, well, you get the praise of your people around you, and that's it. You have no, you got their praise, that was your reward. You've got nothing else coming from your fasting, your praying, and your giving. If you give your money to be applauded by others, that's the reward you get, applause of others. If you pray to be seen by others, that's your reward you'll be seen by others. If you fast to impress others, that is the only reward you'll get. If you do these things to be, received, to be seen by others, you have already received your reward and your spiritual practice will have no value in the kingdom of God. Because it wasn't for God and his kingdom. It was for you and your kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't he? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and if I give my money to the poor, and if I surrender my body to the flames, but I'm not doing it for the right reasons. I am nothing. I gain nothing. Jesus says you've received your reward in full if you don't do it for God. So what are the rewards we receive if we do do it for our Heavenly Father? You see, many people are either unaware of the idea of rewards in the Christian life, or they balk at the idea of rewards. If we're unaware, we've not stopped to consider what are the rewards I get for praying and giving and fasting. and Or, or worse, we think, well, surely there shouldn't be any rewards. Just that, that, that implies an impure motive, which is what, you know, should, when we give, surely we should just give. We're not looking to get anything back. Like, that's the point. We want pure motives, Jesus. Is, has he gone back on himself? What are the rewards? Isn't just the activity in itself what Christians should do? Not, we're not hoping to get anything from it. I think one of the reasons we struggle with rewards as Christians is we consider, like, for example, uh, the school prize giving. When you walk up the platform, everyone's clapping, and you receive a silver trophy or a book token um, for some kind of academic or sporting or musical achievement. That's not the reward Jesus has in mind. You, you might call that an extrinsic reward. A winning of a silver trophy has no natural connection to the thing you did, to the activity. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this, and he said, you know, money is not the natural reward of love. If a man marries a woman for the sake of her money, he is a bad man. He doesn't desire her as his reward. He desires an extrinsic reward, her money. So instead, we need to think about intrinsic rewards, which are the consummation of the activity itself. The reward of learning poetry is you can enjoy poetry. The reward of working hard at piano practice when you're a kid is you enjoy playing the piano when you're an adult. The reward of getting up early to do sprints with your team is the joy of running or compete fast or competing well. The reward of love should not be money, but marriage. To desire marriage as a reward of love does not make you a bad man, but a righteous man. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote so well about this, and he concludes his statement saying, the proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in its consummation. So what are the rewards God gives us for giving, 
financially, praying and fasting. Well, when you give to the poor, true love's reward is to see that your giving met a need and the, and the, and the need was alleviated. Poverty was alleviated in some way. When you pray, the reward is communion with your heavenly father and to know him more and be more aligned to his kingdom and his will. When you fast, the reward is greater hunger for God, greater dependence on God, greater self-discipline and growing in holiness. And of course, there is the reward that we receive in heaven, which ultimately is when we hear our heavenly father say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. If we lived for the audience of one, there is no greater reward than to hear the, the, the commendation of the one we've been living for. And ultimately, it's God, isn't it? He's our reward. When Jesus says, go into a room to pray, the wording he uses is a word that was used in the Greek language to describe a room where treasure was kept. It's as if there's a hint. Jesus is saying, when you go to pray in that room, there's treasures awaiting you as you meet with your father in heaven. The treasure is in the prayer. It's in the moment of prayer. It's as you meet with God in prayer. It's knowing you're no longer an orphan, but adopted. It's you're no longer a prodigal, but forgiven. You're no longer alienated, but at home. He is our reward. He refreshes our souls. He satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. He is our great reward. Do you remember Genesis 15 verse 1? God says, do not be afraid, Abram. Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. God is our reward. More of him, more of his love, more of knowing him. So now we get to the heart of Christian practice. Who are we doing it for? Twelve times in the whole of the chapter, ten times in the 18 verses that Moses read to us, Jesus says, your heavenly father. It's amazing. By continually telling the disciples about their, that they have their your heavenly father, and doesn't he say it? Our Father who art in heaven, Jesus is making the disciples equal to himself in his relationship and his inheritance from his Father. It's astonishing. He's making the disciples equal. He's our Father in heaven. We do not do these things to become children of God. We do these things because we're enjoying being children of God. We do not do these things to put God in our debt or assuage our guilt or alleviate fear of judgment. We do these things because we know and love our Heavenly Father who knows and loves us. We are equal with Christ in our relationship with and our inheritance from our Heavenly Father. How is this possible? How can Jesus say to his disciples, your Heavenly Father, our Father who art in? How can he say that? Do you know there's one time in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus does not call God Father. Every other time we read the gospel, uh, Jesus praying or relating to God, he says, Father, apart from one time, do you remember? Do you remember? On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was orphaned so you could be adopted. Jesus was cast out of the family so you could be brought in. Jesus was banished 
so you could be enveloped in love. Jesus lost his inheritance so you could become an heir. When you know this deep down, it changes the very motivation of your heart. Jesus received the full reward for all our pride, all our false motives, all our people pleasing. He was judged by God so we can be loved eternally by our Father in heaven. When you know that, your heart stops all those silly games of trying to impress people and impress yourself. You're loved eternally and unconditionally by the King of the universe who you call Father. And you're his child. And when you get that, your motivation changes. You stop trying to impress others because you don't feel a need to impress others. You stop trying to impress yourself because you don't feel a need to impress yourself. You are loved by your Heavenly Father. The very structure of your heart is changed. You're living now for the audience of one. So where does this leave us as I finish? during these strange days of lockdown, level five and COVID. Well, listen, interesting, interesting. You could say it makes it easier to practice your piety in secret because no one knows what you're doing. I mean, you can obviously advertise it online and tell people, but actually your religious practice more than ever is just on your own, isn't it? It's like Matthew six is being forced upon us. You just have to get on with it. It's just you and God now. No one else sees because no one else is there. There's an isolation to our lives that could mean there's an isolation in a good way or, or, or a privacy to our devotion. God has given us an opportunity to practice Matthew 6 in a way that we've never had before. This lockdown might enable you to grow spiritually in a way you'd never imagine. You cannot socialize. You cannot busy yourself in the normal ways. So don't just binge on Netflix. Don't just be on social media. Find a room and be with your father and enjoy being with him. Let me give you four tips just to finish. Four tips. Start fasting if you don't. Start with a half a day a month. Start with a day a month. Make it a regular habit. Learn. Read my blog about why we fast and think it through. Secondly, find a room and find a time, a place to withdraw, a time in the day. It's deliberate. It's thought through and you get a time. I want to be with my father. I'm not going to miss this. I want to, I want to be rewarded by him. What's the reward to be with him? There's treasure in the room. 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever you can do. If you're a young mom or a young dad, just try and find five or 10 minutes, listen to a song, offer a prayer, be with your father. Give your extra money away. Some of you have had holidays and weddings and all kinds of things smashed and crashed and all that money was going to go somewhere. Don't just save it for yourself. I'm not saying don't give, save any of it. Why don't you give some of it away? Don't let anyone know about it. But do it to receive a reward from your father and do it. You know, you're not going out and spending money so much on food and drinks and socializing. and Give it away. Why not? Fourthly, be careful. That's what Jesus says in verse one, doesn't he? Be careful. Our hearts have a tendency to do our act of righteousness, to be seen by others. Be careful. Don't be naive. Don't assume you're doing it for God. Be honest. Be real. Be authentic. Jesus says, be careful. So let's take a moment before I pray and we sing just to reflect on our motivation and for whom are we doing what we do? And then we'll sing. Take a moment to pause.
Father in heaven, it is a great privilege to call you Father. We thank you, Jesus, for what it cost you. That you had to declare, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we can be enveloped by our Father in heaven and in his eternal loving arms. We thank you for Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, we say sorry for this, for how often we do what we do because we're trying to please others and impress others in some way. And we're not doing it for you. We're doing it for ourselves. Lord, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for the way we do that and help us restructure the motivation of our hearts that our joy and our delight and our happiness would all be in knowing that you see and you are pleased. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.